And now, live on tape from Speed Shop Sound Studios in North Hollywood, California, it's the Rodcast. Brought to you by your friends at the American Hot Rod Foundation. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Rodcast, David Steele. Thank you all for tuning in to episode number two of the Rodcast, brought to you by the American Hot Rod Foundation. I am your host, David Steele, and as always, we are coming to you live from Speed Shop Sound Studios in North Hollywood, California. First off, uh, other than saying you'll have to excuse my head cold, I want to thank everyone who turned in to our debut episode with our guest, uh, Pete Henderson. Everybody here at the foundation was really knocked out by how many listeners we got. And this gives us a nice amount of confidence in the idea that, you know, hot rod history and the personalities that make it up are things that a whole lot of people have an interest in. And these subjects should uh, definitely not be forgotten. So thank you for that. It means a lot. And, you know, Pete is such a great guy, such a generous guy, and he's a good friend. And we had a blast putting that episode together for you. So um, you you have something to look forward to if you enjoyed that. I'm happy to say that we recently did a kind of a follow-up with Pete where we sat with him and went through his uh, truly remarkable scrapbook. I mean, absolutely incredible. All, all photographs that he took, he and his friends in their roadsters in the late 30s and throughout the 1940s. We went through every page with him, one page at a time, and... Uh, took notes while he pointed out details and supplied us with some stories. And we made sure that our recording equipment was going the whole time. So uh, look for some some really fun stuff from that recent session with Pete in the near future. We'll post stuff on our Facebook page and our Instagram account. And um, I think you guys will uh, really enjoy that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Now, one of the things that we take pride in here at the uh, at the foundation with stuff like this anyway is giving equal time to all the guys who were active in early hot rodding not just the household name types we feel that each person who was there played a part in helping to launch this hobby and you know just because they may not have become a famous speed equipment manufacturer or a record setter uh, doesn't mean their contribution isn't essential and of course, today's guest is very familiar to the hardcore hot rod historians, but I know for a fact that there are plenty of serious young, younger, uh, traditional hot rod folks out there who may not have ever heard of John Athen, and that's understandable. As you'll soon hear, John is more than happy to talk about his early days in hot rodding, but the fact that his lifelong best friend just happened to be at Iskandarian kind of kept John in the shadows around Iski and the rest of the boys around what would be known as Thunder Alley. That being said, if there was only one thing that we feel John Athen should go down in history for, it is for very possibly being the first person to ever mate a 29 Model A Roadster body to a 32 chassis. Now, I say very possibly because we don't have absolute hard evidence for this. And we try our best to only broadcast things that are proven. Now, with that said, we've researched this one to the ends of the earth and cannot find a single example of this happening before or any time around when John performed this. So, as always, if anyone out there has photographic evidence to the contrary, we are all ears. Uh, we're only interested in getting it right and and we hope that shows so but again we do credit him with that for now um, until we hear otherwise of course the biggest thing for me with john and his life as an early hot rodder is the fact that this 29 out of 32 roadster that he built in the 1930s was something that he kept for his entire life just 
let that sink in for a minute. His entire life, he kept this car. And as you'll hear, he had many chances to sell the car for good money. One that didn't get talked about was a truly astronomical offer that he got on the car in the early 1990s from Robert Peterson. That is a whole story all in itself. But uh, what I learned from being lucky enough to know John was that his only concern with his old Roadster was that it might someday be erased by way of another owner, either changing it or restoring it to something that it never was or both. So uh, this seemed to be key with John. Uh, You know, after all, he barely did anything to the car ever from the time it was built in the 30s to the day he passed away at age 95 just a few months ago. So my favorite part of this whole story really is the fact that John had had quietly had a plan in place all along, and not many people knew that. He had made a deal with the Smithsonian that they purchased the car from his estate after his passing, and I, that's just pretty damn cool, I, I have to say. But that little act pretty much guarantees that the car will be locked in time forever. For generations to come, people of all ages can, can go to Washington and see a true and honest example from the early days of hot rodding. Of course, the fact that John and his best friend Iski remain close for their entire lives is probably even more inspiring. You'll hear the cam father jump in from time to time. John would have been, he was 93, um, I'm almost sure here, uh, when this was recorded uh, about two years ago, almost three years ago now. You know, his memory is amazing. But he can't really hear at this point. So, you know, his memories had a way of triggering other memories as they were all going by. And to be honest, this is the kind of interview that the foundation generally does just to gather additional information that we might not have. Uh, This was never intended for anything other than being transcribed and placed into our archives along with the film and audio files from the day. But because we... We're regularly having lunch on Wednesdays with John and Ed. We knew that we were sadly, uh, you know, kind of in the bottom of the ninth with John. So, but we also felt that we wanted to sit down with him one last time. So in that spirit, I want to say that it, it would have never occurred to me to broadcast this until I was using, actually just the other day, this kind of all happened. I was using the recording as a reference to date some foundation materials and found myself kind of captivated by so much of it. From the two of these guys talking about their younger days in LA and discovering, you know, hopped up jalopies and fast cars, to Ed and John getting drafted into the war, their experiences overseas, their amazing trip to the 1946 Indy 500, to the many different times that John very nearly sold his roadster and Ed kind of stepped in. And then to a a really poignant little statement from Ed on why the two of them felt they had to both keep their childhood cars for their entire lives. It all just kind of started to add up and a decision was made to share this. So with the understanding that this is some down and dirty audio that includes some workers passing through the lobby of Iskandarian racing cams uh, as we were recording this as well as a random friend of theirs just showing up to interject his own questions and comments, which uh, got interesting. But this is some great and entertaining and educational stuff at the end of the day, we, we feel. And is also probably, sadly, the last recorded interview with John and Iski together, I think we can safely say. So we're pretty lucky and knocked out by this, and uh, we think you will be too. So... Sit back, settle in for your drive, or turn this up in your shop or wherever you are, and enjoy our conversation with Hot Rod Pioneer, John Athen. But Ed kept coming over, and then we went to school together. Well, naturally, I saw Ed in school. And, we walked uh, home from school together. The Virginia Road. Yeah. Where, did you, where did you guys, were you right in the same neighborhood? How far were your houses away? About 30. West Adams District, yeah. Okay. How yeah. close were your homes? 
three blocks away. Three blocks so, away. So how about how old were so you I had a, when you guys met? How old were you guys? So uh, on the way home, 13, I went 14. by our garage 13 or 14, where, they, okay. where they were building a race car for Legion Ascot Speedway. Mickelson. And the, Mickelson. the guy was lying boring the Hispano Suiza. They took a V8 Hispano and took one side off. So they put in the race car and the guy was turning that boring bar. He said, hey kid, I'll give you a dime if you'll crack this boring bar through these main bearings, which is a pain in the butt. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. So there's 40 threads per inch of feeder bar and you turn the crank about this one speed per two seconds. A hell of a lot of work. And I line boarded. I said, what was the name of that driver, Ernie Triplett? Rex Mays and Ernie Triplett? Wow. And Mickelson. Mickelson it was. Mickelson was the owner. Yeah. Mickelson had two sons, number 59. So I, I, I got the dime and then, then naturally when I got home, I said, it's going to be on the radio tonight, Saturday night race, you know, or Friday night. Legion Ascot. So I turned it on. Mm. My neighbor gave my brother a radio, so that station came in good. And I turned it on, and oh, Rex Mays is winning the race. Ernie Trimble is second, and uh, Babe Snap is third. Oh, wow. And then when, next week when I went by, I'd go see Hollows of Car. Well, we got to do the valves, or we got to do something. Every week there was a, something to go on. Well, I'd stop by every week. That got to be so. A friend of mine, a friend of mine had a race, had a Model T frame, and he was building a race car. So I says, uh, he's put me out. Like, what do you want for that? Twenty dollars. I'll buy that from you. So I bought the frame, no wheels. I bought the frame and the motor. And uh, I took it all home, and I started to put it together, you know. Well, I didn't have any money for any wheels, but I said, I'll do all the groundwork. So my brother bought a head called a Rajo head for a Model T overhead valve. It's built completely to the water jackets. So I never seen one. I thought that's the way they're all made. So he said, center punch every eighth of an inch around the bore and put a brand new head gas for Western Auto, and that won't leak. Well, me being pretty fastidious, I took a grinding wheel, old grinding wheel, and I lapped the top of the block, and I'd hold the head really careful my hands. I spotted it in, put the gasket on with a lot of glue, real careful, and believe it or not, it ran, and it hit on all fours, and boy, it ran much better than the Model T, you know. Mm -hmm. So my brother, Said we got to put bands in there. What the hell? I didn't. I, I never drove a car. I never drove. I didn't know about stick shifting. So my brother buys some bands made in Scandinavia with special special cloth. Yeah, Excuse me. So I buy the I buy the bands, and I can't get the band around to the locking locking clevis on the horseshoe on the end. The guy, oh, you got to have a, a strap, a steel strap. So Pete Fox, a friend of mine, loaned me a steel strap. You put it around the transmission, put the little key lock device on it with T slots, and then you can get it on there. We put the new bands in, boy, and the car would go in low gear right away. On the Model T, halfway down, the clutch is neutral. All the way down is low, and when you let up, it's high. That's it. So I heard about a two-speed, there's a two-speeder in. There's a rear end called a Ruxel. So I heard about one, I went over and bought it for 10 bucks, and I can put it in in no time, you know, because it fit right in. But there's neutral, and when you're in neutral with a Model T, you have no brakes, because there's no brakes on the Model T, except the bands. Mm -hmm. So one day my brother stole my car without my permission, and him and the neighbor were mischief, and they ran into the back of a Packard, Mm. 200 and wrecked the truck, wrecked the Packard, and I chewed my brother's ass out because I had just got it ready to run and they finished up whatever I had to do and they ran it in the back of a car. I didn't get a chance to even run my own damn, so I am home fixing the radiator, getting it all fixed again. 
Ed later on, Ed's dad's Model T, he went to work in the Model T downtown LA, and he talked, I don't know why, but Ed put a Ruxel in his dad's Model T, and he said, Dad, don't fool with this lever here. Ed had a little string around, a lever on the, on the way to work, the Armenian Curiosity bug got a hold of him, and as soon as he touched it, they go into neutral right away, and he's going down a hill on Adams near, near uh, Normandy, and uh, just about went to a gas station, missed some children, some school children, and just missed some other killing some other, and managed to get out of there without killing them. And then he put that back, put that string around it, and started it up again and went to work. Mm -hmm. And Ed, Ed, I think Ed took it out. Did you take it out later, Ed? Yeah, I think we took it out. Ed yeah. took it out, yeah. So, and this was your father's car, Ed? Yeah. 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 His dad had a model T, uh, So, John, your older brother was kind of into cars and... and yeah, then, then uh, my older brother Frank and Jim, they, I opened up a tool and die shop in Cobra City, and I, I hired 90 cents an hour, I hired them both. And then the rebels of the war came along and Douglas paid a dollar five. Well, they both walked out of my shop with the work there. But the, your so two brothers, the, both of your brothers? Canada, yeah, my old brothers yeah. quit. I got a ticket for going on the railroad track with the Model T. My Model T just fit the rails. And uh, Your father, wait a minute, your father was the father, I mean your partner was a, the father of Ray Lipper who makes the center line wheels. Yeah, yeah. When he hmm. was a little kid there learning Ray, Ray the die trade at the time. Ray Lipper on Saturday, center line wheel. And I told Ray, now don't put those in that punch press without these pliers. Sure as hell, he comes in and says, you're right, John. I said, what the hell is in here? I figure it looks like a tablespoon. It's all red, it's flat, eighth of an inch thick, but oh. it's all red. Oh my God. So I took him down there, and said, we got to cut that off. That's all flat like a pancake. <laughs> so if you ever shake Taz with Ray, Lipper, you'll notice that one and that finger's missing, the pointed finger. <laughs> then, I finally, then I finally got drafted. Like I say, I got a ticket for going on the railroad tracks. You know, my car would just fit. And a cop, you know, I came to the place where the street was level the rails. The cop car cut me off. So I put it in reverse. And he went down and he cut the other end off. So I had, I had a side. The judge said, well, in view of your uh, draft here next month, I'm going to uh, just rescind the ticket. So they let me go, and they drafted me in the Navy. And what is your background? Oh, Bethlehem, you're working on destroyers? Yeah. Ed and I got a destroyer job for a dollar ten an hour. So uh, Ed had a, an old car that we could drive down there. So we went down there, and uh, we'll put you in the uh, Navy Repair Ship Center in Australia. So they shipped me. I went to school in Biloxi, Mississippi, and then they sent me to this off-island Australia on a great big, imagine an aircraft New carrier. Hebrides, New Hebrides. Imagine a carrier going underwater, like a U-shaped channel. And then the battleship came in there. Then when the battleship came in, it came out of the water. Well, there's ten sections, it's a thousand foot long, with extension on each end, so that we 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 welded up all this, all this all the woodwork to get the hull, came out of the water. We repaired it down, and out it would go. So Tokyo Rose, I swung on the radio there, and Tokyo Rose said, "We know there's an advanced base sexual dry dock repair." We're going to bomb it next week. Sure as hell, here comes a little Japanese bomber at midnight, drops one bomb on the island, it kills our cow. And we had one cow on the island. Hmm. And we would buy the milk, you know, kills our cow. So there's a plaque there today, probably. One cow killed here, 1944. Hmm. <laughs> and then, they, then we had orders to cut that, cut that thing, ten, there are ten submarines, there are ten sections like that. Cut each one off and take it to the assembly in the Philippines. Mm. So we, 
ends up cutting them all off. Well, ten separate sections. Wow. When they first, where they, when they first cut them off, the guy said, "Lower the wing tanks in unison. Don't lower one side than the other. When you go to ship it, we lower these down and ship it and assemble it back." They lowered one side and turned over, and killed every other, every one of every other one of these a submarine to lower it and pump it out. But we cut it up and they took it there. And I went to Guam, and Guam, the war was ending, you know, and I'd get letters from Ed about Ed running a B-24 bootleg circuit. Ed's <laughs> making, making money bootlegging stuff, you know. So I thought, boy, oh boy, oh. Before I, before I got to Guam, I, I knew the cook real well. I said, you know, we get a fifth of whiskey for, a, for 10 pounds of rice in a bag. So I talked to Cook on this ship going to Guam. We stopped at Johnson Island, and I told the Cook we'll get we'll get a, a fifth of whiskey for that. So the Cook he comes off the ship with his ten pounds of rice, and we hike about ten miles. Nobody wanted to buy it or trade it. I thought, oh shit, this Cook's going to be pissed off. So finally, we get a guy. I'll give you a brandy for it. Yeah, brandy. So I come back on the ship. He said, we're going to put you on dishwashing all the way to Guam. Mm. We're making me walk 10 miles for a fifth of brandy. Mm. So that cook tortured me. And funny, I got off, got off of the goddamn LST. But I went to diesel school, 671 diesel, the blowers of it. Yeah, as a diesel. And during the war, they had the big 12-cylinder, 12-cylinder GMC V12, 12567. Over here they had a four-pack, four six seventy one, so a big gearbox that drove this propeller, and the big twelve soldier drove this side. So the one side crapped out, you always got the other side to go. So we yeah. managed to make it to. Then the war is coming to an end, and so I was. And I had a camera that I had smuggled in all during the war, a little one twenty. I put it in my shirt and I photographed. Photographed the uh, B-29 leaving Saipan and Tinian. Hmm. The war ended, and, uh, and Ed, Ed uh, apparently got on. You got on early, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. So Ed was whole already. What was? Uh, where, how how did you serve, Ed? I went for air cadets first and uh, washed out about two months before graduation because uh, they uh, got control of the air in Europe. So they cut our class 20%. So they put us in Air Transport Command. We thought we were going to be pilots in that, but it turned out we are going to be stewards on the plane and go to Australia and back from New York, from uh, San Francisco. Hmm. We made five trips that way, and then we got stationed in Australia, and we used to fly to New Guinea, and then later the Philippines, and back and forth like that. Hmm. We took care of the passengers, yeah. Steward, as stewards on the plane. So while while we were stationed in Manila, I I wrote a letter to Johnny. I said, uh, "Can you buy cigarettes there?" Yeah, I can buy a whole case. I said, "Get me a case. I'm coming to pick them up because hmm. we can sell them and make money." That was a nickel a pack. That's what cost you six dollars for a pack now. Hmm. And we get them for a nickel a pack. A so, uh, Boy, yeah. so you were. So John, I never did make the trip, and John, John couldn't sell the cigarettes. <laughs> he probably put a, finally put a sign on there. Don't go to the PX. Just drop your money here and take your cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> it, it dropped me off a car. I, I couldn't <laughs> make the trip. What was? So they get no, they get stale. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I yeah. sold some. The guy, hey, these are, he brought them back, and I had to get a, So I said. Don't waste your time walking the PX. Drop your money in the auto system and take a pack, and you get rid of them because they were yeah. stale, you know. Well, let's let's but back I, let's back I, way up if we can, because I I want to make sure that we get this story straight about the beginning of of uh, the road the the first roadster, which is which is now Ed's car. Um, John, you've kind of told me this story before, but if if you'd refresh. My memory. 
that that was a car you kind of had seen around. There was a that car well, you, was you bought a car from Bus Johnson, Model T. Well, not a car, a frame of the a frame of the rear end. Yeah. No, no motor in. No motor. Just no wheels, no frame, just nothing. You know, practically yeah. nothing. But John, just to be clear, this is this the same car that your brothers took out and crashed? Yeah. Same car. Yeah, yeah same car. Oh, what is Ed's car now? It took me a year to get it to get yeah. the, I had to put a Franklin steering in it. I had to put a rear end in it, ZRs in the back, and oh a lot of work, you know, but I wasn't doing anything. And my brother bought that head, you know, and I put it on there. I bought a motor from a guy. The rods I tried the rods, you know. I never, it never had good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how like long? I say, if I hadn't broke that crank, I would keep, I would probably kept the car. Yeah. How long did you have the car so, after I it was, was so running? I was tired of working on it, you know. Every yeah. time you'd fix this, then that would break. And then the, later yeah. I put a transmission in it, a regular 23 Chevy transmission. Behind the Model T, I put a transmission in it. And the Rixel, Rixel rear end, I just, locked in the high gear so it couldn't shift. Hmm. There's a plate in there, there's a pinion. Oh, this side is low and this side is high. And in between was neutral, which was a, they should have made it so that that was higher than that, either one. But yeah. they had it right in the middle and you couldn't select that, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, very, by the way, I found that pig, that sales slip from Buzz Johnson. Had. You did? Yeah, paid cash. Well, how much, how much did you pay for it? I think I gave Bud Johnson fifteen. I, I paid fifteen dollars, yeah, for a several of parts Model T. You made what, a, what year was that? Yeah, Pete, Pete's box about all over the line. Nineteen thirty-three or four, maybe. Okay. Yeah. You made a little money on that when you sold it to Ed. No, I when I, Ed came down the alley, <laughs> I was so pissed well, off. Ed put the good engine. Uh, Ed said, "I'll give you twenty-five, <laughs> except the turtle deck." So yeah. I said, "Okay." Ed bought a little deck a couple of weeks later for two dollars. I don't know, Ed was very good at finding, finding parts, hmm. cheap, you know. John, how long did you have the car? How long did you own about it? About a year. About a year? Yeah. And, and during that... I sold it in 37, I think. And during that time, how much time did you have with it where it ran oh, and drove? Couldn't have any, yeah, nobody had any money. Like I say, you got the... If you can get a job for 25 cents an hour or 30, you got a good job, you know. So, so I took a job in Hollywood. Hollywood used to say Hollywood Land, L-A-N-D. Mm -hmm. Real well, estate company. They, early in the 30s, they cut the land part off. Right, right. They didn't paint that white anymore. Yeah. It became Hollywood. Yeah. When I went to work on a cheap metal shop, we spun the wheels for the race cars, and I held a torch on the metal, while the big German guys spun the wheels, and, and then Southern California plated as Ronnie, uh, that race driver, would drive it in. But things were tough. And my neighbor, Arnold Burr, who was a Bonneville hot runner, he went to that Glendale school, riveting school, and he got 65 cents an hour. When I, his dad was a pharmacist, and he said, Arnold Burr is a school. Well, I couldn't afford to go because I'd love to make riveting or whatever. 65 Well, speaking of not having much money, yeah. I know that when you when you finally uh, lost your patience with your first roadster, you sold that car to Ed to finance your then, next your next car. My my partner and I got into some kind of a squabble, and Ed moved out of the back. Ed made a cab grinder after the war in the back of my shop, and I split up with Lipper. I went to work for Rose Lewis Armament Company, making mm. a, a special armament to gun charge 50 caliber guns. And they they needed a, a tooling tool of diamond. So I went to work there for a dollar an hour. Mm. And uh, that was a good pay. And we rented Houston's Fearless camera, Eddie. Uh-huh. Where you 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 had a vendor. It had a it had a bad filer and a saw, and he had developed a little tool of die work for a company in Culver City. Well, yeah. when, Ed, when Ed joined the Air Force, I went there, the guy gave me a, a little job to make. And it gave me the band filer, and the saw, and the lathe, and 
and it helped because Lipper and I had to buy. I bought a big lathe and I bought another bigger saw later, and about a 12 foot planer. But it all helped to get it to go, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, you could start your own little machine shop uh, in the war. That, hmm. that guy who gave me that name was that Houston Village Cabaret. Eddie. Yeah. He gave me cash, which was very. Oh, okay. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So what? You guys grew up in the same neighborhood in the same part of town. Uh, when you were kids, what was that neighborhood like? Was it was it a pretty safe neighborhood? Were there a lot of kids in the neighborhood? What 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 did uh, what was life well, like then? Like I say, I only, I only lived four blocks of Ed. Yeah. And my dad said we could rent the upstairs for fifteen dollars more a month than you would. So we move out to a house right near Ed's shop, two blocks away. Hmm. So imagine moving out of your house for 20 bucks the difference. Hmm. And Ed, Ed had a shoe shop below his where he lived. His dad said, no, I can rent a place downtown for $20 less. So Ed's dad drove downtown every day, and Ed's dad would drive down for that 20 bucks a month difference. Hmm. Made a lot of difference. And what did your, what did your dad do? What, what business was he in, Ed? He was a blacksmith Ed, in the old country. His dad was a blacksmith in the old country. Here, too many blacksmiths were immigrating at that time, so he had to learn the shoe repair. Old country was Armenia? Yeah. Well, Turkey. Turkey. Armenians oh, living right. in Turkey, yeah. Right. How, yeah. Soo how soon after you guys got into the hot rodding and had your roadsters that you started meeting other, that there were other kids oh, around uh, who had well, roadsters? Yeah, we had to learn from the older guys. See, the, the uh, hobby had been going on now since... Uh, well, the hobby might have been starting around 1910. Uh, cut down Model T cars made into sort of like racing cars, gal jobs we call them, mm -hmm. and uh, hot hot iron sometimes it comes. So that was a uh, hobby that, and we found out they even have meets. If you want to see a lot of them, come up to the Dry Lakes, Morocco Dry Lake, and there'll be hundreds of them there from all different parts of. California and sometimes neighboring states. Mm -hmm. And we learned by uh, uh, seeing what these fellas had built up, you know, and we'd get ideas. Did, did talk you talk to the guys? And did you guys go to the lakes together the first time, or yeah. did one of you go before uh, the other? We got our well, cars right. We got our cars right. Yeah, we got our cars right the same day we both drove there. I could tell Ed was going a little faster than my car. My car was bigger front area. Yeah. And by God, Ed went 120 and I went 108. Yeah. So that little bit of difference from all area. Mm -hmm. But he had an F head, which is overhead valve, one intake, mm -hmm. and one exhaust of the block. So that was a little better flow, you know. I had a straight flathead ported. Mm -hmm. So Ed went a little faster. Yeah, Which well, is why uh, today, standard is pretty damn good. 120. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. Pretty damn good at the time because. At first we went without a car. We rode with somebody else in the rumble yeah, seat. But that, was a, that was pretty good for a, huh. and then, a grocery uh, and the whole. Until we built up our own little car, you know. Yeah. Did you go to the lakes before you were even driving? Probably, yeah. Yeah, we rode uh -huh. all the way there. I'd pass up Ed and it would pass me up. That's later. 70, yeah. 70 miles an hour. Just kind of jockeying around, you know. And, yeah. But I could tell Ed's car was a little faster. Now, little. when you sold Ed the Roadster, the T, did you guys work on that together to finish the car? Because I know, Ed, you put a V8 in it uh -huh. with a, with the Riley well, the conversion. I right? helped Ed with the, the banding iron around the, the, around the upholstery. Mm -hmm. Ed wanted to put a half oval iron. So we heated up and we bent that around there, all around that whole and then put screws in there and had that plated. Yeah, and I we, said, uh, if I plate that and it gets caught in the bumper, I'm going to wrap this thing around my neck. Mm. So he's, he put his people in there with a head and buffed that and chromed it. And one of that chromed. So yeah. Ed and I had an upholster, bring uh, up upholster over the top and put those screws, that chrome, that's still got, on there today. We got that idea off Frank Palmer's car. Because he had yeah. built a, a real nice Model T hmm. before us, you know, he was older than us. Hmm. Yeah. So you guys had a 
you had a place to work on this stuff? Well, in the garage mostly. It worked because it was a garage. It had what they call Esky Alley. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about this Esky Alley. Somebody, okay, well, go down to Esky Alley. Ed was always there with Luther, his brother. And now, is this your house, your parents' house? Yeah, in the back it's of the house. Back yeah. of the house. Yeah. So you're just you're working outside? Sure, yeah. garage. Mostly? In the garage. In the garage. In the garage. Three garages in that or two? Well, three, three garages. Yeah. Yeah. Three well, Ed had, Luther had a half. Ed gave Luther a half a garage. Uh -huh. One day they got in a big argument. So Luther was a pretty good runner. And Ed was, Ed was so pissed off. So he's chasing Luther down the, he's chasing, to, he couldn't quite catch Luther. So he took a kick for his butt. Just missed Luther and then he fell on his back. And I knocked the wind out of him. <laughs> so me watching and I come running up to help Ed up because he can't breathe. And Luther came back. They held brother out. Mm. And as, as, uh, you know, you ever pulled your back and knocked the wind out of you? Oh, yeah. That knocks you out pretty bad. You bet. So Luther came back. You okay? Okay. And we got Ed going again as they had <laughs> lost his shoe. Yeah. Ed got his shoe back. <laughs> These are getting big heated arguments, Luther and huh. big, big arguments about whatever, you know. But uh, Ed put Ed Luther in half of the garage. You only get a half. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's pretty nice. You guys had a, a place to work they, on your they cars. They bought an old and you had to look at the mirror to run the to run the gear. The gear had to, had to look at the mirror to Cut turn thread, the knob. Yeah, the, Remember that lathe? Ed? Yeah. They had a mirror there. You look at the mirror to turn the handles because it was an old time lathe made backward. The uh, screw and cutting the, lathe uh, was on the back the, side. Yeah. So. Hmm. Luther had the motorcycles, and Luther was uh, working on motorcycles, yeah. But that brother, but Luther was a real good motorcycle rider, and uh, he went to Lincoln Park, and I went there one time, and he could out, but he didn't have power, you know. He had a triumph. Ed, would, but he didn't, would you say that that's where you got interested in mechanics and engines from Luther? Was he already into well, that stuff? Uh, no, from John. John, I... John taught me the firing order on a Model T Ford as we were walking to school one day. This, this John. One, two, four, three. I said, gee, why isn't it one, two, three, four? But I'll figure that out later. So that's the way we learned, yeah. So it was really John, John then? That John little, knew a little more about uh, mechanics and Model T before yeah. me, yeah. What were some of the shops where you worked together, where you guys were? Uh, well, uh, down in Torrance, we worked at... Uh, uh, what was the name of that uh, tool and die shop? Uh, what was the name of the tool and die shop in Torrance? Oh, Martin uh, Tool and Martin, Die. Martin, Martin Tool, tool and yeah. Die. And when did you work there? When were you working there? Oh, uh, maybe 19. Well, Lipper, Lipper by Jordan Parker. Before the I war. I met then. him there, and oh, I yeah. noticed he was pretty good because he had worked at Germany. And had a better knowledge. We never saw a die before, so they put Ed on various jobs and Jimmy Darren, and we made the we made the windshield strut for the B-17 bomber. Jimmy made hmm. one, and I made the other, and they put Ed on a on a bomber door to service it off, and at a boring mill, Ed serviced that off real nice. And Ed's brother, we got him a job grinding in a draw die. And, yeah. uh, and then I went to the shipyard from there because they paid a little more money. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this Martin, Martin Martin was the first place you guys went to work. Martin Tula died. Well, uh, John worked in a little tool and uh, 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 plastic uh, molds they made. Uh, remember those uh, made out of tenite? What was that name of that place you worked? John was working there before me. Oh, I yeah. took a job at a mold shop making, yeah, making molds for uh, plastic uh, injection molds. Yeah. So when the war was over, uh, you guys got back in touch, and yeah. did you get back it into playing with the hot rods, or did you well, go right into business I, and go to I work? I was home first, and I wrote John and I said, uh, "Well, we're we're going to the Indianapolis race." first race after the war. I says, meet me there. If you can get discharged on the East Coast, meet me there at 
Indianapolis. I says, uh, check with Western Union. So I'm there, and he's on his way all right. And I call up, and I, do you have a message from a Navy man here, John Athen? No. And then I waited a, a few more hours, night before the race, you know. Hmm. And uh, finally he says, wait a minute. Yeah, we got one. And we found him and him, one of his Navy buddies, uh, and uh, we stayed at the uh, Red Cross that night. Uh, for Navy personnel and Army personnel. Mm -hmm. I was already out, but it's okay for me. Mm. Somebody got his, uh, somebody sold his, all his money out of his uh, pillow no, that, that night. Oh, one of the guys. They have fools, they put their wallets in, the, in their pillowcase. Yeah. When you put your wallet in the pillowcase, it's over here, right? Mm. And you're sleeping here. There's guys there who slit these. Oh. It took, and the guys Scissors. came over, oh, well, four or five guys, like, well, it's gone. Where'd you put it in your pillowcase? Yeah, well, this professional slitter, <laughs> he come along and takes the wallets. That's mm. right. Four or five guys, I told them, I didn't, so, uh, I didn't put mine there. I put mine right on my head. We, we waited until the race already. started. Yeah. We waited, the race was going on, and we climbed the fence and but got in. But all kinds yeah. of crooks. I don't know where Ed kept his money. Hmm. Ed had quite a bit of money at the time. That must have been an incredible experience for you guys to see the Indy 500. Yeah. As as and right after the war and yeah, right after the war. 45 or 46. We bought an old we bought an old car, an old Lincoln car that we found. In Lincoln's effort. Really? What year? What year was the Lincoln? Do you remember? So we decided oh, to drive to Indianapolis to see the race. And that probably car, a you know. thirty-eight or nine or something yeah. like that. You yeah. bought the car in California and drove it to Indianapolis. No, no we bought right it there. in Ohio. Uh, I think it was. Was uh, right there, right near Chicago on the way home. The fan went through the radiator, so we had a tow it into Chicago, and then bought a thirty-two Ford radiator. It had it modified or whatever, and put yeah. it back on there. Hmm. But that damn Lincoln, you drove that Lincoln out here, Ed, and we yeah, drove we it, drew it all out yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, wait, the, the both of you drove the Lincoln home from Indianapolis? Yeah. Well, by Indy here, we would. But that's been a, a couple hundred miles a day, stopping all the wrecking yards and stuff on the way. Hmm. Looking at the parts. So did you guys did you guys do business together right after the war, or yeah, Ed, well, Ed came and built that campground in the back of my shop. I helped Ed as much as I could, you know. How quick did you get on that project, Ed? The cam we we built the little. But Ed, Ed made a master a quadrant. He didn't make a full master. Say he made a segment and he'd move it over. Mm -hmm. Later he made a full master. Yeah. What were your first jobs after the war, though? Uh, well, uh, I did go to work. Uh, I, I started work building the cam grinder. You started making that grinder right away. Right after the war, you did. Yeah. Wow. I figured I'd give that a try, you know. Yeah, I think it worked out. John, and John <laughs> kept running Mercury Tool and Die. They were making. Uh, In the parts. back of my shop, Warren's father-in-law was a carpenter. He built a wooden shed back there, right away to house my planer and punch press. Mm -hmm. And then it was over at one corner of the leaky roof, and then had asthma, so he'd grind a cab and said, John, I got asthma, I gotta go home, collect $20, he'd give me the cab. The next day I said, Did you get the 20, John? Yeah. Well, I could grind two cabs a day, that's 40 bucks a day, that's double what I was paying my dime makers. While John was in the Navy, his German partner was running the Mercury Tool and Die. Not making much money, but but so keeping John, keeping it alive, though. Yeah, and John come back and start helping again. And how long did you stay? No, I in told Ed, there's nobody in cab grinding. Hmm. I used to tell him when he was back at work at my shop. I said, there's nobody in that, but Ed, Ed, Ed yeah, didn't there, there visualize the dragster. That well, that drag those two guys there, there cutting have a Davis, they caused that business to triple overnight practically. And plus the boats and the 
midgets came in and a whole bunch of things mm -hmm. happened. And Whitfield was giving up. Well, Richard was retiring. Carver and Hollis started. And Crower, uh, Ed was still slugging it out, trying to make ends meet. So finally, Ed, Ed rented a shop across the middle rock on Jefferson Boulevard. Ed rented a bigger shop. Yeah. And then he built a shop at Inglewood. Mm -hmm. John, how long did you stay in the tool and die business after the war? Because eventually you. You went. Well, during the you war, started partner, working with Ed again, didn't you? Uh, immigrant. He stayed here. He didn't get ex yeah. deported. Yeah. Yeah. So when I came home, I just started helping him out, and I got a job from the F-86 fighter plane, making the canopy runners. Mm -hmm. Real big job. And Ed bought me an electric welder from the shipyard. So I, the goddamn die set was right here to the window log. So I welded the I welded the whole die set on the planer. After I welded on, I welded all of my plated on the planer. I used the planer for a bed, and I, I inserted the tool steel with a hell of a job. I made a left and a right, uh -huh. like twenty five hundred bucks a piece, which is a lot of money. Well, before we run out of time, because we're gonna. Did you get the carburetor story with the wire? I'd like you to retell that story. Actually, that's first. Uh, you you told a great story about being in a wrecking yard. When you were a kid, and you opened the hood of a Cadillac, and there were two Winfield carburetors you on the end. carburetors. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear Ed, Ed found a Ed found a little Cadillac with a couple of Winfield. Those are Winfield carburetors. I would have let. Oh my God. That's Ed's hero. <laughs> so I said, Ed, we're gonna. Ed's taking the bolts loose with the flanges, but he's putting a wire on them. He's not taking them. I said we're not gonna buy them, John. We're gonna we're gonna wire them. Like, what are you talking about? When they close, we pull the wire, they come over the fence, and then we <laughs> were 25 bucks a piece or something those days. And they were like new, you know, really nice. So we went to Fisher Auto Clothes. Whenever I go by there once in a while, I have to laugh. Fisher's gone now, Ed. What street was that? We steal them. Well, we're, we're closing in on the end of this, but uh, I want to make sure I ask you this, John. Uh, taking it back to hot rodding where we started, uh, why why do you think you've kept your roadster your whole life? Well, he almost sold it. Was that a doctor that and his son wanted to buy it? Yeah, some rich kid was going to buy it. Buy a little over a thousand dollars. They for wrote it. a big check and Ed handed him the and check. I said, you don't want to sell it, John. Tear up that check. And when he was, almost sold the car. Remember? Yeah. When was yeah. this? About 1946 oh, or 7, maybe 7. Bucks, something like that. About yeah. The kid was going to hurt himself probably if he bought that car. Mm. The old man was, was he a doctor? Going to buy it for his son? No, no, that electrician, that he was the Willies. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Elvis Presley Roadster. Yeah, yeah. They oh, almost then, sold it. And then the next oh, one yeah. was where uh, John wanted to sell it to the studio, and they said, no, we just want to rent it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was another oh, thing. Oh, I get that kind of money. So he, so, so he almost sold it a couple he times. He almost sold it and times. I stopped it, yeah. They, Lucky you were there. Me yeah. That time. Three or four hundred thousand. They, they said, we would have bought a player of four hundred thousand. You're going to put it in the auction. He had a chance to sell yeah. it to Clark Gable, too. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah that I would have sold it for a thousand dollars then. Now what was the, he left a note on your windshield, Clark Gable did? Yeah, at the races. That's before I had the, yeah. Ed, Ed, why, why do you think you've kept your car, your roadster, your whole life? Well, uh, it was just too much. Uh, I just didn't too much work in it, and I didn't want to sell it. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Did yeah. people? People have probably tried to buy that many times. Uh, I over guess the year? people. Most people would sell when they get short of money or something. You know. They, mm hmm But I you figured it was too much. My own personal work was in it or something. Well, and you used it in advertising early on, didn't you? Uh, uh, well, on the cam business, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but uh, I figured uh, best not to sell something precious, like sort of precious like that. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm glad you were around to keep John from selling his, too. Yeah. That's a good thing. Well, well John... Uh, 
In those days, any kind of big money, you know, you would have, but I could never execute anybody that would give me the cash. Like if I had met Clark Gable there and he offered me cash, I would have sold it right either a walk home for seven hundred dollars or something like that. Yeah. And I drove there, but if I got seven or eight hundred, I would have walked home for God's sake. Hmm. That's, that's hard. You couldn't get any money, you know. And like I say, my mother, my mother said, "Where's the hubcaps?" And I said, they're 50 cents apiece. And she gave me the $2. She said, go down and get the hubcaps and put them on there. Well, they're still on there now. I never heard John talk so long before. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Okay, you're welcome. Well, there you have it, folks. How about that? Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rodcast and our talk with Hot Rod Pioneer John Athen. Thanks to John and his friend Ed and all the staff of Iskandarian Racing Cams for allowing us to set up shop in their lobby for an afternoon. And uh, special thanks to John's friend Richard LaCroix. Richard drove John to and from the interview location. Uh, thanks as always to our announcer Larry Babb and all the staff at Speed Shop Sound Studios. Our PR person is Angela Helton, and social media directing comes from Crystal Hayes. Technical assistance comes from Eric Curtis and Katie Sloan, and our theme song is by yours truly. Uh, special thanks always to our archivist and historian, Jim Miller. The American Hot Rod Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and was founded in 2003 by Steve and Carol Mamishian. Without their generosity and passion for preserving the history of hot rodding, none of this would be possible. So if you'd like to learn more about the foundation, please check us out at ahrf.com. We're also on Instagram. We've got a great Facebook page that'll keep you up to date on all things happening in and around the foundation, including upcoming episodes of the Rodcast. Uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list, receive updates, and get news on our quest to preserve and promote the history of hot rodding. And uh, we thank you again for listening. My name is David Steele. We really do appreciate it. Please tune in again next time for another episode of The Rockcast. Thanks for listening to another great episode of The Rodcast, brought to you by the American Hot Rod Foundation.